The views and opinions expressed in this program are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views or positions of any entities they represent, including Olas Media. Olas Media. Olas Media presents Cannabis Enlightened. Now here's your host, Dr. Leroy Brady. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to another episode of Cannabis Enlightened. I am your host, Dr. Leroy, and I have the really good fortune of having a guest with us today that is very deep, very fascinating. He's done a lot of things, and while I'm talking about him, before I let him introduce himself, I want to thank him for his service, which gives you some sneak preview that he's done military time and he has and not just some military time i'm telling you this young man and i can say this young man has has saved people he has a purple heart he has um the bronze star and maybe a whole bunch of other medals that i know without question he's earned but the most humble person I've ever seen in my life, besides myself, that is. So without any further ado, I'd like to welcome to Cannabis Enlightened, Brian Buckley. And Brian, would you, you know, reintroduce yourself and tell a little bit about who you are and what kind of things that you've done? Yeah, absolutely. And it's an absolute pleasure to be here. And thank you for that great introduction. <clears throat> yeah, first and foremost, I appreciate you saying thank you, but you don't know me anything or no one else does. I was just uh, really fortunate to be able to serve at the level I could and go forward for our country. And it really meant a lot to me. So uh, thank you for that. But grew up in the right outside Philadelphia area played for a big time high school football program. I remember I was getting recruited by the Naval Academy, wanted nothing Ooh. to do with the military service, wanted to grow my hair long, play some ball, <laughs> drink some beer, and okay. if I could find my classroom, great, you know? So then 9-11 happened, and that changed right. my life like it did everyone else's. And I just kind of looked in the mirror and said to myself, it's time for me to go earn my citizenship and mm. get involved in this. So I transferred from University of Massachusetts to Villanova University, did the ROTC program, and uh, became an officer in the Marine Corps, started off in the infantry uh, conducted a deployment to Fallujah, Iraq. When I came back from that, they said, hey, you did a nice job. Why don't you try out for Marine Reconnaissance? Went, made that. They rewarded me by sending me right back to Iraq six months later. So mm -hmm. at that point, I was operating in the Al-Ambar province, which is western Iraq. And when I came back from that deployment, the Marine Corps just got into special operations, uh, which is now known as Marine Raiders. And I went to selection, made that, became a team commander, and conducted deployments in uh, Southeast Asia, Africa, as well as Afghanistan in particular, the Helmand province. Uh, during my time in the playground, I got some bumps and bruises along the way. I got shot up in Afghanistan, but thank uh, thank the Lord for the great doctors and nurses over there. They uh, put Humpty Dumpty back together again and got me right back out in the missions. And when I got out in 2013, I really started noticing kind of what was happening to our veterans. Right. Uh, a lot of great nonprofits helping out the active duty services and, and their families, mm -hmm. which is terrific. They need that. Right. But for me, when I kind of walked out the door, it was like tumbleweed went by me. I turned on my car and drove off the gate, and mm. that was it, and it was over. So I really wanted to help out veterans transition. Sure. And we started a nonprofit called Battle Brothers Foundation. Oh. And during that time, my body was really at war with our, itself. That I know we'll get into a little bit more. And 
Someone introduced me to cannabis in 2016, and that motivated me to talk to some members of Congress and see what we could do. And I like the way you talked about bumps and bruises. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wasn't exactly bumps and bruises, uh, Brian, <clears throat> were they? I mean, when you get shot, that's yeah. not a bump or a bruise. Yeah, this one was uh, what they call an under-barrel grenade launcher. So basically the enemy, their weapon of choice are AK-47s, and they put a little uh, grenade launcher thing underneath of it. Oh. And uh, this one, we were in this area called Kaligas in the Helmand province in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. And just sound like a fly ball flew by my head, and I either said the word fuck, but I definitely was thinking it, but I knew they got me, you know, and uh, boom, that went off, and uh, wow. basically shrapnel all throughout my body. Wow. Um, but you know, things I know we're going to hit on about preparation, you know, it's like our right. preparation prior, we won that fight before it even started. Right. And, uh, you know, I had to go back and get some surgeries and, uh, some surgeries. Yeah. Yeah. I do three. How, how, okay. Yeah. They did. They came back. Um, you know, they kind of, they basically the whole way went down that, you know, I, I get hit. It is just chaos is breaking out around us. Uh, what my team did in Afghanistan, we were what they called the commando mission. Right. So we were in the black helicopters in the middle of the night, and we would fly in and go after high-value Taliban targets. Sure. Uh, we would work and coincide with other special operation units, and they were doing what they call build stability platforms. So you had other Marine Raider, Navy SEALs, Army Green Berets, and they would be bearded up, wearing traditional dress, and they would do everything from building a well to help stand up a local police force and everything in between. Mm -hmm. Basically, get them up on their own feet and let them take care of themselves and right. just kind of be a training wheels for them. While risking your life. Right, and while we uh, <clears throat> we went in there, we would go in hard and fast. We were not there to kiss babies or shake hands. Right. We were there going after someone who deserved to go somewhere else. And when we flew into Caligas, uh, I just remember we came in under fire. Right. And when I came out of the helicopter, I actually like tripped mm -hmm. and you heard rounds fly over my head. And I never forget, I looked down the side of this black helicopter, which was a mm -hmm. Chinook, so one of the ones with the double blades, right. uh, double rotors. And mm -hmm. you actually saw the pilot had his rifle out. And since it wasn't mm -hmm. put into his shoulder, you see it flying everywhere. But then the other guy, the gunner, had his minigun going, which is like a Gatling gun pretty much. And that thing was okay. just whizzing away. And they told me, they're like, hey, you have Taliban all over you. And we had to kind of take care of that right from Jump Street. And oh. it's just one of those moments you're like, you know what? We're, we're going to earn our stories on, on this mission. Oh, my goodness. And we were trading casualties back and forth. And mm -hmm. then uh, I got tagged. And, uh, you know, we. But I, I tell people I now know what it's like to be in a popcorn machine just because the earth underneath me was just popping up. Wow. And it looked like giants had their hands on the trees. I mean, the Helmand Province, which I'll love to describe to you guys more. Um, it's like a triple canopy jungle, essentially. And it just looked like giants were shaking the trees with all the small oh. arm fires, RPGs, mortars, and all the other badness that's coming out. But everyone was cool and calm, and everyone did their job and did it exceptional. And uh, they started the fight. We ended it. The people who started it no longer walk around here anymore. And uh, mm -hmm. it's time for me to get a ride back uh, back to go get fixed up. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I know they, they, they kind of they, – the weird story was I'm going out. And uh, the Kazivac's there. So I had to put my hand up on a wall. And, you know, I'm kind of hobbling at this point because my legs are bleeding. I have tourniquets on them and stuff. And the wall collapse. The next thing you know, these like hornets come out. So now I'm getting stung by hornets. So I've been shot. Then I get stung wow. by hornets. Wow. So then I get on the helo. We're flying back. Mm -hmm. the, the adrenaline that hit my body, like people were like, man, how, how much did it hurt? I'm like, it didn't hurt at all. The adrenaline that hit my body was like, mm. whoa. Like I could have ran through a wall. It's more of take you know, some deep breaths and just kind of calm down and process the problems that you're facing. But 
you know, eventually that the, the adrenaline goes down and the pain says, the pain hello, <laughs> you know, like this, this does hurt, you know? <laughs> so the, uh, the PJ, uh, which is like the air force pararescuers, great, great people. Uh, he just looks at me and he's like, Hey man. And he holds out his hand and has a, a, a like a syringe. He's like, you want something? And I'm like, yeah, whatever that is, let's mm-hmm. do it. And it was ketamine mm. and essentially like kind of blacked me out. Like I knew where I was, but I didn't know where or how to move around or to place I had to go. It's just a very bizarre out of body experience. Sure. So I had a big hunk of metal on the left side of my head, just kind of sticking out right by my ear. Oh my gosh. And when they were pulling me out of the helicopter, I'm completely limp at this point. One of the nurses, he sliced his hand open on the, the shrapnel. So I bled into him. He bled into me. So oh. they took me in to get a CAT scan. The one head nurse, she was a British nurse, comes in. She's like, I need Captain Buckley. Everyone else get out. Mm-hmm. And she's like, do you have HIV or AIDS? And I'm like, no. And she's <laughs> like, are you sure? I'm like, get tested every six months. I'm good to go. And mm-hmm. she's like, we got to test you for AIDS because you guys just bled into each other. And we're going to test him too. And I'm like, wow. okay. So then they go through and they take me into surgery. And the doctor's looking at my left leg. And he's like, man, that's not looking too good. We, we might have to amputate. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I've been shot. I've been stung. I'm getting tested for AIDS. Now you're going to tell me you're going to take my left leg. And I'm like, listen, doc, you take my left leg. When I wake up, I'm going to beat you to death with it. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he's like, all right, man, happy thoughts. And, uh, you know, they put the gas on me. Away I went, woke up. Everything was still working. Um, there were two other of my guys on my team that were wounded at the same time. Mm-hmm they were preparing to send them back to basically go to Kandahar up to Germany and then back over to America. Uh, one gentleman, he was shot in his stomach. So he literally, I mean, you talk about a crazy time. He's in the middle of the Helmand province. And then two weeks later, he wakes up in Bethesda and was like that, like, he's like, where the heck am I? Like, right. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other gentleman, he lost part of his tricep. Mm-hmm. Um, so they wanted to pack me up and send me home. And my surgeon was a former army ranger. And he's like, he's like, hey, dog, what do you want to do? And I'm like, what are my options? He's like, they want to send you home, but you're my patient. You want to stay? And I'm like, yeah. He goes, I knew you were going to say that. And wow. he's like, he's staying. And they're like, wait, wait, wait. He's just my patient, my call. He's good to go. Mm. And so what they did was uh, they left me, they kind of left the wounds open. Essentially, shrapnel will kind of work its way to the surface the of your body. Mm-hmm. So he's like, we're going to leave you open for a little bit. I'm going to bring you in. I'm going to. You don't want to know what we're doing to you, but we're pretty much steel wooling your body, you know, trying to get the shrapnel out. Mm-hmm. So they did another surgery about 48 hours later, left me open for about another 24 hours, and then did another kind of scrub, and then they sewed me up. And that night they had me on a treadmill walking. And, that uh, night? Yeah, and I did. It really, that's where people think, they're like, man, it must have felt terrible when you woke up. I'm like, it felt like I worked out really hard. Like, it was just mm-hmm. soreness, nothing sharp pains or... Oh my goodness! Right. And uh, you know, did my twenty pull-ups? Was able to run three 20 miles. Pull-ups? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, were you getting ready to say you ran three miles? Yeah, because we like they basically wanted to have me do the Marine Corps physical fitness test, which is you know they want twenty pull-ups are perfect. It's like a hundred points. If you could run three miles in eighteen minutes, which my body said no, hell no. It just <laughs> I don't know nineteen ten. My body's like that's all I'm giving you. Okay. Um, but then I, I I ran three miles. I'm not gonna say it was a land speed record, but I could do it. And then you know you do a hundred crunches, and they're like, okay, you're back on active uh, duty. And I went right back on our raid the following week, so I didn't miss a mission. A- after how long? Uh, about six days. Six yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. Six. Tremendous doctors. I mean, they they wow. really did, and the nurses. I mean. They're the ones who sometimes get overlooked. You know, they look at me or, or the other people like, wow, special operators, this and that. Mm-hmm. These nurses and doctors had to see, you know, pretty much 
just misery 24-7. I mean, some of the operations they had to perform. And sadly, it was the summer of 2012. And I'm I, not bragging. This is just what some high-ranking officer told me. He's like, this has been the bloodiest summer for special operation forces since the Vietnam War. It was just wow. a really, really tough wow. time. Now, you know, I really wish my audience was um, here in the studio and, and could see the look on your face. And yeah. as you describe what you went through. This is not at all like a Hollywood movie. No, no. This was not like a video game that, no. that a lot of young people play. Yeah. I mean, those people get up and they walk and they, they do other things in life. And the video game ends. And those are animated people mm -hmm. anyway. But the people that you were working with, your other team, they either survived or they died. Yeah. And, and when we say they died, they didn't exist anymore. Yeah. Um, and it's just fantastic that you had such a, can I say, speedy recovery? You, you know, for wow. sure. I mean, again, it's like, you know, the amazing work of the medical staff. Yeah. Um, you know, my, my love for my teammates. You know, I, I do believe in the power of mental healing that, like, you want to get sure. back out there. And it was just, you know, really... You know, one of the guys on my team probably said it best. He's like, that was the best deployment and the worst deployment. You know, wow. I saw the very best in mankind. I saw the very worst in mankind. Wow. And it was just, it felt like yesterday, even though it was uh, a little bit over 10 years ago. Wow. So you're, you're back in the United States. Mm -hmm. And you, you have to still have some pain from those injuries. Sure. I mean, you said they healed and you were back and you were, you know, running and doing, you know, exercises and so forth. But mm -hmm. I got to believe you still had pain. Oh, I still have pain today. Okay. Trust me. So how did how did you deal with that pain? You know, growing up the way I did and I, I give a lot like a lot of credit to my parents, obviously. I mean, my parents built they build the foundation for success in life and provide you with the tools and you got to go make what you will with them. Right. And, you know, my dad always told me, he's like, you're never going to be the smartest. You're never going to be the fastest. You're never going to be the strongest. But one thing you can control is your work ethic. And if you outwork people, good things will happen. And, you know, my, my dad, God bless him. Like, I don't know if he knew what to do with us raising us. So he just put us to work. You know, he, like he was an engineer and we'd wake up and you'd hear like the truck beeping and you're like, oh, no, what are we doing today? And some crazy project. But he really instilled, you know, hard work and mental toughness mm -hmm. and really just putting the needs of others before yourselves. And that's just kind of how it helped me get through things. Even when like in my athletic career playing with injuries and stuff, you just kind of mm -hmm. have to block it out because there's a higher purpose that you're serving. Right, right. So. Along with coming out and and reacclimating yourself to, I guess, you know your your city, your mm -hmm. state, you know America, um, you founded the organization that you head right now. Mm -hmm. What what brought that about? The first organization I founded was Battle Brothers Foundation, which is a five hundred one c three, and we established that in twenty sixteen. And I just saw a void in what was happening with veterans. Mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of great things happening for the active duty forces and their families, but veterans were kind of, you know, high five, thanks for your service, good luck. Yeah. And you just saw, it, it's really difficult. You know, I just talked to a, a former professional baseball player and I was saying, you know, you can probably understand this too. It's like when you, here I am a special operator, you're doing all this crazy stuff and, mm -hmm. you know, people literally make like video games and movies about the things you're doing in real life. Sure. And then all of a sudden it's over and you kind of lose your identity and you kind of like, well, what now? What do I do? And you just kind of start seeing depression setting on people. Obviously, right. a guy like me who's 100% disabled, 
I can go get any pill I want in the VA, essentially, you know, to block the pain or do stuff like that. And you just start seeing this slippery slope. So we wanted to form Battle Brothers and make a three-tier approach of personal, medical, and economic. And personal being like, you're about to transition. You get one of the Battle Brothers, uh, kind of like a big sister, big brother network, just there for you 24-7 to talk things out. Medical, if you're suffering with opiates, alcohol, post-traumatic stress, or all the above, we have a director of treatment and recovery, and we can get you into some really nice treatment facilities, you know, things where like uh, celebrities go to free of charge right. just to kind of take a knee and get your body right. Uh, we help out with VA disability claims to ensure that that veteran and their family are getting all the benefits that are owed to them. Mm -hmm. um, and then the last phase was the economic phase of finding a job, having that veteran have the same sense of purpose like they did while they served. Sure with hopefully avoiding a mistake they can't come back from. Right. And then really with all the pain and agony my body was in, I mean, I, my body was at war with itself. I couldn't mm. sleep. Uh, just the pain would be really bad at night and I'm alone with my thoughts and it was just, it was a terrible way of life. Yeah. And someone said, hey, why don't you try some cannabis? And, you know, being an athlete all my life, you know, I just never wanted to put smoke in my lungs, so I never sure. tried it. Uh, obviously in the military, you're like, whoa, you don't even think about it. But when I tried it, it literally felt like a warm blanket enveloped itself around mm -hmm. my head. It was just the first time my body was finally at peace with itself and I could get some sleep. And I just said, you know, there's a lot of great veteran advocacy groups out there and they're doing work to try to get more access for veterans with cannabis. I'm like, but what's the gap between the VA and Congress and how can we do this? So I had an opportunity to meet with some members of Congress and pretty much I summed it up saying, what do you need to get this? And they said, if you can go get data and get American doctors, you'll have a strong argument. Right. And that was kind of led us on this uh, path we're on right now. So were you able to get um, many doctors to uh, agree with you? You know, I always tell people never make comfort-based decisions, right? <laughs> so I'm, I had this grand plan of mine, and I'm going to do all, you know, do all these great things. And I'm up in L.A., and I'm trying to raise money. And, I, man, Dr. Leroy, I'm getting, like, my teeth kicked in this day. I'm just right. getting door slammed. Good luck, kid. Whatever. Thank you for your service. Yeah. You know, out the door you go. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I confirmed in, for an event up at UCLA, uh, a cannabis symposium they're, they're mm -hmm. having with Dr. Jeff Chen at the time was running their kind of uh, – cannabis kind of area for UCLA sure. and went there, you know, it, it was a good talk, but we had a coffee break and it was probably the greatest coffee break in my life where I go out and meet a gentleman named Alan Blot and Alan is an Israeli and served in Israeli defense forces. And he also helped found a company called Niamedic Healthcare and Research Services. Mm -hmm. And they've been doing cannabis research for over two decades. And we just kind of bonded. We both had post-traumatic stress. And I just said, Alan, this is what I want to do. And he's like, okay. He's like, you can do it, but it's going to be really tricky. He's like, one, is a scheduled one drug here. And two, you're going to need this thing called an institutional review board for anyone to take you serious. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, what's an IRB? And he's like, it falls under the FDA. And it essentially says the medical professionals give you permission to conduct human trials with whatever you're studying. Because every medicine has to go through IRBs. Sure. And he's like, again, Schedule One drugs could be really expensive. And they already had a great medical team with them. And I remember starting to think, okay, how am I going to get this? It's going to be expensive. We got to put a study design together. And the idea came from a Paul Newman salad dressing bottle where it said 100% <laughs> of profits to charity. So I'm like, all right. And so we talked to my lawyer, talked to my CPA. I'm like, 
can we do this? Like, I, if I make an adult use brand and we just take the profits to help fund our research, and they're like, yeah, profits are profits. You can do whatever you want. Mm -hmm. So our first, like, we came up with the company, the adult use brand called Hellman Valley Growers Company. Mm -hmm. The significance of uh, HVGC is when you're a Marine Raider and you serve in the Hellman province in Afghanistan, you become part of the Hellman Valley Gun Club. And again, HVGC tattoo on you. So I wanted to keep a military niche to what we were doing, and I threw HVGC up on the wall and Hellman Valley Growers Company. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. Mm -hmm. Went, briefed all the boys. I'm like, guys, I will change it, you know, because I've got to trademark this, do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, are we good? And they're like, not only are we good, can we get a job with you when we get out? And I'm like, well, that's kind of what we want to do here is have veterans make a medicine for veterans. Mm -hmm. So Hellman Valley Growers Company was born, and we made our first sale February 2nd, 2020, and with our first $50,000 of profits, that's what we had to put forward to develop a study design, and it was titled uh, that can medical cannabis reduce the symptoms of post-traumatic stress? Mm -hmm. And what was going to be tricky about this was it was essentially a private IRB, and these IRBs are usually saved for medical groups, colleges, universities, stuff like that. They're really not given to the private uh, sector, and especially cannabis. Sure. So they're like, the IRB is like, do you have a DEA license? We're like, no. Mm. And they're like, are you working with the NIDA, National Institute of Drug Abuse, out of uh, University mm. of Mississippi? We're like, no, we want to control this. And they were kind of going back and forth. But our gentleman leading our steering committee is a man named Dr. Victor Novak. And at one point, he was in charge of Harvard's uh, Clinical Research Institute. He's an Israeli, studied with Mashulam, mm. awesome guy. He actually did this study in Israel, and they had an 83% success rate. And he basically, from my understanding, he just kind of slid it across. He's like, I've already done this. This is how it worked. I just need to do it with American veterans now. Mm -hmm. So they approved it, which was huge. And then on top of that, University of California at Irvine came over top to be part of the study. Mm -hmm. And they're our principal investigators. So essentially, you'll have Israeli doctors working with U.S. veterans right. and UC Irvine sitting there saying, yep, that happened, that happened, that happened. And that's big because now we can actually publish in medical journals and the medical community has to take it serious. And we just need to fill that void and give Congress what they need uh, to say, numbers don't lie. This stuff is viable. It works. And and what was the reaction? I think a lot of shocked at first. I, I even think, too, I mean, we're getting close to funding the study. But I think okay. even when I'm talking to people about it, it seems like it's so kind of like, wait, wait, what? No, like, that can't be real. Or, you know, it was kind of weird. I mean, I always tell people too, when I got my first canvas license, I mean, I literally walked out into the parking lot and thought the Monopoly man was going to be waiting for me. Like, hello, <laughs> sir, welcome to the club, you know, stuff like that. Not the case, you know. And um, when I got the IRB, I'm like, oh, we're, we're, we're money. We're going right, to fly. Right. Not the case. But um, I'm either stupid or hard-headed, but I don't what know. What do you think was going. fighting you? Was it the fact that um, cannabis is schedule one? Or was it something else that that made people, you know, stop and say, "Whoa, wait a minute." Yeah, I, you know, I, I I don't I'm not sure. You know, we've we kind of over the past sixty days or so, we've hit a groove where mm. we're gonna get this thing funded really fast. Okay, and I just think it took a while to kind of. You know, one, one of my dear friends, uh, his name's Greg McCluskey, and he runs a Ramona Cannabis Company and has a manufacturing group called Bear Flag Group. And we right. met up in L.A. one night, and I really just sat down and kind of broke everything down to him. And he's like, I get it. Mm. And I'm like, okay, maybe it's just so kind of over people's heads where I'm trying to really explain why this IRB is so important. Mm -hmm. Um, that now I think people are finally starting to get it and we're, we're starting to see more pro uh, process with it. 
And what's going to be amazing about Dr. Leroy is this first study, it'll be here with California veterans. Mm -hmm. The reason why I'm not bringing people in from different states, you know, Dr. Novak's like, we've never done this before. I would hate to call a guy up in New York and say, can you fly back here real quick? Because I forgot to do this with you. You know, he's like, so we're going to learn. But at the end of this initial study, Mm -hmm. we're going to develop a formulation and a treatment protocol that can reduce the symptoms of post-traumatic stress. I'm in talks with a VA in a different state right now that Mm -hmm. once we have that, we can move it into that state, do another study, prove that's repeatable, accessible, having the same results. Like imagine like Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola in LA and Philly, it tastes the same. Right. And then at that point, I'm about as far as I can go. And I'm already working with both Democrats and Republicans. Mm And they'll give me a platform. I'll raise my right hand. I'll say, here's your data. Here's your American doctors. Can we proceed with FDA trials? And I'm not going to stop until our Hellman Valley Growers Company medical product is in every VA pharmacy in America, meaning doctors can prescribe to a vet. He walks downstairs, he or she, and they get it and walk out, thus making medical cannabis federally legal. And it just won't be for veterans. It'll be for every patient in America. And when that happens, and when you testify at Congress, I'm going to be the first one to say, hey, he was on my podcast. Yeah, yeah we'll hey, be right outside. We'll, we'll do you yeah, get the exclusive. I'll be there. I'll say, hey, 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 Brian, come over here. I need you for a few minutes. Man. Absolutely. Let's go. So I noticed you said post-traumatic yeah. about four times. Mm-hmm. So can you break that down for me? What is yeah, that? What that, does it look? I mean, why is it a thing? It, you know, and that's it's a like a question on a question almost because it's still a little <laughs> bit of a mystery. Uh, you know, there's some uh, doctors, uh, man, Dr. Peggy, she's out in Boston. I'm so sorry. I, I can't remember her last name. You know, I'll have to send you this white paper and you can kind of okay. review it. Love to get it. But she's been working with special operators since like 2010, mm-hmm. trying to figure out like what is post-traumatic stress. Right. And she kind of has it broken down into like seven like uh, factors, you know, imminent okay. death, being shot, seeing someone killed, killing someone, mm-hmm. sexual harassment, things of that. And that all kind of adds up to your post-traumatic stress and kind of puts it, it comes back to you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because for me, it's like when you were in the service and you're kind of running and gunning and you're just so busy, you're, you're good. Yeah. When you get out and then you got that. You know, moments of lull and quiet. That's when you start thinking. That's when everything starts coming back. And again. it's debilitating. It, it can be. for it's, it's Again, it's so mysterious. Like you and I could see something. You might be fine, but then I'm kind of messed up from it. Right. It just, it's, we're all different. And it just kind of hits people in different mm-hmm. ways and how they deal with it. For me, I'm very open about my military service. Whatever yeah. I can say, I'm going to talk about. Mm-hmm. One, I think it's therapeutic. And yes. then two, I never know if I'm talking to a future congressperson or a senator or a president that, hey, I want you to know if we need to go and you got to break the glass and send you know your greatest assets in the country, your men and women, to go forward and fight. And they're going to be their, your kids because, unfortunately, during times of war, you know, I say during times of peace, children bury their parents. During times of war, parents bury their children. Yeah. It's a young person's uh, yeah. game at that point. Just understand what you're going to do. They might not get physical wounds. But we're all going to come back with some demons, and you're never going to beat your demons. You just got to learn to fly above them. Right. So understand right. what you're asking these people right. to do, and if there's some diplomatic solution, let's try that out because right. they'll go and they're going to give you everything they got because they just signed a black blank check payable with right. their lives. But let's just make we fully understand what we're getting ourselves into. Right. Well, Brian, let me ask you a question, uh, and 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 if this is something that you choose not to answer, I'm okay with sure. that. Sure. Do you 
believe do you believe or do you think the hesitation to make this legal take it off of schedule one is it economic is it political or is it just a social thing i think one and two very much so and then three kind of okay i think you know it takes you know a couple million dollars to get someone in congress reelected they like their donations pharmaceuticals yeah. very big powerful organization that can do it you know for example every time what i've heard i can't i'm not saying this is true but it kind of makes sense every time a state institutes some legal cannabis program pharmaceuticals lose 2 billion dollars yeah so I, I really think they're probably telling some people right. like, hey, I'm helping. Here's a donation. By the way, no, no, no. We don't want that stuff out there. Uh, okay. So and that's where I'm saying once we prove that it's repeatable, accessible, having benefits, and this is how you do it, you know, from school companies could be like, okay, let's go. We can do it. And mm -hmm. Congress will give you the green light. Mm -hmm. And then I think a little bit, too, on the social side. Mm -hmm. I think we've all lived through the war on drugs yeah. and all that yeah. stuff. But a really interesting phenomenon kind of has happened over the past 10 years is where you have all these Vietnam veterans retiring. And again, we just talked about, you know, when you're busy, you can kind of compartmentalize stuff and not think about it. But then you're retired, a lot of time to relax, be alone. Right. Those demons come knocking on your doors and mm. they're kind of reliving things that, you know, happened to them 30, 40, 50 years ago, whatever it may be. And they're kind of going into cannabis. We, we work with mm -hmm. a lot of Vietnam veterans where they're like, I'm finally finding relief. Mm -hmm. And they were probably the ones who were really, you know, whole Nixon era when he kind of just went nuts about it. Yeah. And now that they're yeah. kind of turning around, you're seeing it. And, you know, now you're getting younger people in Congress and they're more open to some more things. So I think, you know, now it's kind of getting to the point, you know, one, one guy I talked to in uh, Washington, he's like, we think by 2024, if you're a politician and you're not pro-cannabis, it, it could potentially be a career suicide. Well, you're reading my mind. I yeah. was just going to try to pin you down yeah. to when you think that it will be not moved to a lower schedule, but in my mind, at least, it has to be completely off. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, we need to deschedule it. Exactly. I, I think, you know, I work with a very uh, fantastic group, and these guys I'd love to introduce you to because you love to have some sure. of these interviews, but it's the sure. Veterans Action Council. We're not a, an official organization. Uh, really start off as a buddy check just during the times of COVID for kind of vets to kind of get on a, a phone to just talk with each other. Mm -hmm. But it became something pretty special. And we got some really talented individuals all throughout the country and some international veterans. And we've been working on some of this stuff here with uh, Congress. And they actually send us bills now to review and give our input on. Wow. And we were very much in there like there is a thing. And kind of stay with me here. Okay. So the United Nations, they have like the 1961 treaty, which is kind of like every country follows this thing. And it's about what's illegal and what's not, right. and so on and so forth. True. And in December 2nd of 2020, I think it was a vote of 15 to 14, they removed cannabis from that treaty. Um, mm -hmm. It literally was like almost, if you can imagine, the old like NATO versus Warsaw Pact. It was all the Western countries, even the United States voted, yeah, to remove it. Right. And I think it was like Azerbaijan, like the last second, like came over and was kind of the deciding vote saying, mm -hmm. yeah, we're for it. And basically said there is medical benefits to it. And the general secretary sent letters out to all world leaders saying mm -hmm. we no longer consider it internationally illegal. Da, 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 da. Right. It's the first time in America's history we did not follow the 1961 treaty mm. and it's still schedule one. So we have sent letters to the attorney general. We have when we were I was in D.C. on uh, mid-September meeting with 27 legislators, both uh, Congress people and senators, 
And we kept pushing that and showing them the, the work that we did. Mm-hmm. And when you saw President Biden, you know, pardon the 6,500 people that I don't think anyone got pardoned, actually. But at the end, he's like, I'm directing the attorney general and HHS to look at rescheduling candidates. I remember that. Yes. That was our verbiage. Guys were like, I think that was us. I'm like, I don't know, man. It's like a yeah. billboard. You never know if someone actually paid attention to it or not. Right. Regardless, they are looking at it. We just don't. If it goes to a schedule two, it would kill our industry. Yeah. Schedule three would help because it removes from tax code 280 and all that stuff. Yeah. But again, we are pushing two. It needs to be descheduled. So I think you might see something. I wouldn't be surprised in the next couple of years that they start mm-hmm. moving it. Just pray to the Lord that they don't go to Schedule 2. That's That would be really tough. Yeah, for there are a lot of people that I speak with that say, well, it just needs to be off of Schedule 1. I said, no, dude, yeah. no. Careful no. what you wish for. No, no, no. It has to be descheduled yeah. altogether because then that's another fight. Yeah. you know, and, and that's a fight that we have to take up. Yeah. And trust me, there will be people that we won't mention on this program who will benefit yeah. as long as it's a Schedule Scheduled drugs. Sure. So it's got to be descheduled. Mm-hmm. So I want to get back to um, the product that you produce. Mm-hmm. What is that product? So what we do now, we will not make any medical claims. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way we kind of got started, we have uh, some great guys named George and Cody Sadler. They had a brand they, they sold a, a couple years ago, and they also now have it's kind of taken California by storm, the brand called Gelato. And, you know, I was telling you earlier, like, Going in, trying to get investments, do something, make this happen. Right. We had right. the ideal investor. Uh, unfortunately, he had to pull out for health reasons at the last minute, so we were kind of free agents. And I just threw, you know, George and Cody wanted to donate to Battle Brothers Foundation. And I just mm-hmm. kind of threw a Hail Mary talking to about Helmet Valley Growers Company. And they kind of looked at each other and smiled. And then George was like, you guys are going to make a formulation and a protocol and get into the VA. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, all right, get in here. We're going to back you up. All right. And we were probably the only brand in the country that could get our product on a shelf for $0. George and Cody don't profit off us. They don't wow. want to. They just want to help out Americans. So we started out with an indica distillate and um, hybrid uh, distillate car- uh, carts and started there. And we started expanding out into more things on you know, pre-rolls and some flour and some different uh, cool things we're doing. Right. Uh, but the real nice thing we do with our distillate carts Everyone that we have on our menu, we've had feedback from veterans where they've said it's helped them with their post-traumatic stress or it's mm-hmm. helped them with this. You know, we won't make any medical claims. We're just saying, here you go. Yeah. This is what we're hearing word of mouth. I mean, our big flagship one is one called Afghanimal. Mm-hmm. I just thought it was a cool marketing kind of idea. Yeah. Helmet Valley Growers Company, Afghanimal, here we go. And it's uh, yeah. animal cookies and an Afghan kush. And when I gave it to uh, one of the Israeli doctors, he called me up. He's like, what did you put in that? And I'm <laughs> like, uh, and you know, I told him, he goes, that is doing exactly what the medicine should be doing. Wow. He's like, you know, I took three hits before I had uh, dinner. And he's like, and I felt great, euphoric. My joints were loose. And he's like, mm. usually I smoke a pre-roll before I go to bed. But he's like, I wanted more of that. So he's like, I did in our five hits. And he's like, and I never have slept so well in my life. Wow. And we've just get such positive feedback. So wow. that's kind of like our go-to. If you're suffering with post-traumatic stress, try our Afghanimal. So where would, and, and I guess I'm, I'm going to be asking you, give a plug for you know, Battle Brothers Foundation yeah. and, and the product. Where would uh, someone listening to this, where would they be able to uh, do a couple of things? Contact you. Yeah. Um, and find your product. Yeah, so for Battle Brothers Foundation, go to battlebrothersfoundation.org. Uh, you'll see what we have going on and where you can donate. 
you know, to find our product, uh, Hellman Valley Growers Company or HVGC, just go to hvgcompany.com. You can see what we have on our menus, and then you can actually uh, find a link where it says where to find us, mm-hmm. and you just literally put in your zip code, and it's going to let you know the closest dispensary that uh, carries us. And again, everything, it's a great product. You're not going to be disappointed, but think about what you're doing beyond that. Your money's going to go forward to help save the lives of some veterans. So it's just not... I'm in here for the green rush trying to make money. Honestly, mm-hmm. I haven't even paid myself one red cent. I, I, mm-hmm. I'm working for free, just living off my disability. Uh, but I'm, I'm not going to, until we get this research going, it's right. the most important mission of my life. So right. you will literally contribute any, like our, our, our gear, anything like that. We always take the profits and put it right back to our research just because that's the whole, that's the most important mission of my life. And that's why we're here. Right. I can already tell, Brian, that you're going to have to come back. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some way you're going to have to come back. If I have to go out and find you, yeah. Um, I was going to say hog tie you, but <laughs> you know, you you mentioned earlier that you're 100 percent disabled, yeah. and I have to say, and the listening audience, this man does not look disabled in any way, shape, or form. I appreciate lo- that. Looks like he could bench press like 500 pounds. Right uh, now. I could watch someone bench press. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the one doing it, but <laughs> that's great. Um, lastly, is there anything new happening? Um, you know, your, uh, your organization. Yeah, we, we we just launched a really fun product. Uh, it's our diamond infused chillums. Uh, yeah. Just go out and check them out. They're literally a pharmaceutical grade glass made here in America. Uh, they hit extremely well. They're extremely convenient. You can cap them. You'll save all the terpene, uh, terpenes and all that. And um, it's having a lot of fun. There's nothing like it out in the market. So we've really highly encouraged. And you Diamond get a, infused? Yep, chillum. So chillum. it's a little glass okay. chillum. And you guys will see the size. It's it's nothing aggressive. It can fit in a pocket easily. Mm-hmm. And you get a cool product afterwards. You got a, another uh, utensil to use for your uh, cannabis product. So wow. it's, a, it's a lot of fun. And people who, who are getting into it just have loved it from Jump Street. So we really encourage people to go out there and check it out. Wow. Brian, this has been a real delight. Yeah. I, I mean, you're just, you're just fascinating to talk to. I mean, I you've got um, your own personal story, um, your travels, mm-hmm. your work with Congress, yeah. um, and, and most definitely for our program, your work with cannabis. Yeah. And I, I definitely want you to come back at, right. at another time. You got um, it. If we can find you, if we can. Yeah, well, we're working hard to get into March and Ash right here. So okay. hopefully we can have a nice little kind of opening stuff like that. And we'll you, do some things here. Yeah, yeah, you never know what's possible. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. We're, we're working it. So it, we'll, we'll get it done. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, once again, I want to thank you for uh, being on uh, the podcast. Um, and I'm going to say it for maybe the third or fourth time. Thank you for your service. Um, and and I, I think the work you're doing is just fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you for your time. If you would like to hear this particular episode and all of the episodes that are on Cannabis Enlightened, please, please just take the time to log on to CannabisEnlightened.com. And if you'd like to send me a, a note, a comment about this particular episode or any of the episodes, you can reach me at Dr. Leroy at CannabisEnlightened.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I look forward to, as I said, the next time we can talk with Brian Buckley from the Battle Brothers Foundation. Thank you very much.
Cannabis Enlightened is produced in San Diego, California, and presented by March and Ash at marchandash.com. On behalf of Dr. Leroy, I'm Chris Cantori, and thank you for listening. Olas Media.